All right, it's 9.30ish, so let's go ahead and get started. Welcome, thank you all again for being here. Uh, let's pray. God in heaven, we are grateful for, um, God, just how kind you are to us. Lord, everything we have is exponentially better than anything we deserve. Uh, Lord, and we, we confess that's not always our attitude. Sometimes our attitude is, is one of grumbling and complaining, like the Israelites in the wilderness. But Lord, everything we have is a gift of your grace. Father, we, we think today uh, about uh, one of the highest gifts of your grace in, uh, in our esteem, and that is the gift of the gospel, and especially as uh, the gospel relates to the life of the church. And so help us this morning to think about the gospel's work in our own lives and our own relationship to, uh, to the church. And when I say church, I mean the big C, the church global, the people uh, of God around the face of the earth through all ages, but also the local church, uh, the small C church, um, and particularly the church here at First Scott. So we pray that you would help us to, uh, to think rightly about these things and encourage us as we do, and I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, thanks again for being here. Uh, some of you were not able to be here last week, and so you haven't seen uh, what we're going to talk about today, uh, this, this booklet. Uh, but within the booklet, you should have a schedule there that's going to keep you on pace. So if you were not here uh, last week, there's some reading I'd encourage you to do. It's just a few pages. Um, and, and if you did do it, we're going to be reviewing that today. Uh, so just FYI, on this schedule, the, uh, the, the kind of middle column here, that's what we're going to be discussing during class. And the column over to the far right, that's how you can be preparing for the next, um, the next class. So you'll always get more out of this class if you've, if you've done the reading and prepared for it. But at the same time, I don't intend to put you on the spot and ask whether or not you read. Um, so... I want to just quickly review that article, The Necessity of Church Membership, um, how important it is uh, to join a church. And sometimes people will say, you know, I want you to give me a chapter and verse that tells us that we need to be members of churches. Um, Now, that's a good question. We want to be thoroughly biblical Christians. And at the same time, we need to be Christians who think not just one verse at a time, but within the whole swath of Scripture. Um, And I'm going to argue that within Scripture, church membership is presupposed. It is assumed. Um, And and so we're going to look at that a little bit for a few minutes. I just want to tell you, go over these six benefits or six reasons uh, that we should value church membership. Um, And first is church membership makes a visible commitment to Christ and his church. Um, The church is known as the bride of Christ in scripture. Uh, And so I don't know if you've ever known a couple where you look at one of them and you think, you know, I really like her, but he's just obnoxious. I just don't like hanging out with him because he's just, he's just hard to be around. He, if he thinks it, he's going to say it, and it's always offensive. Uh, she's great. I wish we could hang out with her. You know, in some ways, that's how people view the church. And they're like, you know, I really love Jesus, but I don't want anything to do with the church. I don't want anything to do with the bride of Christ. But Scripture connects those two to where if you belong to Jesus, 
then it's not just that you can't, that you can't make up your mind, I'm not going to be part of the church, but if you belong to Jesus, then you are part of the church. It, it's, it's a natural uh, experience as the shepherd calls the sheep, the sheep come running together. The sheep gather together. In the New Testament, what we do not see is the idea of a lone ranger Christian that is disconnected from the life of the church. You know, just think of Paul's letters to the Galatians, to the Ephesians, to the Philippians. They're corporate bodies, and even the few that were written to individuals, they were typically pastors. Or, like Philemon, he's writing about in the church context. Here's how you're to get along. Why do you think, what, what are some of the benefits of belonging to people that we belong to each other in the church context? How might that be beneficial? Support. Support. Good. How does a church family provide support? Good. In time of need. This is a church whose love language is food. And so if, if, if you have a death in your immediate family, our, our natural reaction is going to be to pile you high with food. Um, support. Uh, we'll talk about accountability in a few minutes. Um, using your gifts. That's another reason we do things corporately. But you know, one of the biggest things we get out of being part of the church is sanctification. Because you're going to stick enough sinners in a room, and I'm going to have to deal with other people's sin, and other people are going to have to deal with my sin. You know, that's known um, as the porcupine's dilemma. Porcupines are prickly, right? And when a storm comes, porcupines have a decision to make. Are we going to huddle together and be safe, but it's prickly? Or are we going to go on our own and be vulnerable? As Christians, one of the ways God sanctifies us intentionally is by calling us together to an imperfect church, a bunch of imperfect people. And we have to learn to get along, and we have to learn to forgive, and we have to learn to be gracious, and all those different things are part of the life of the church. What we see is if you desire to have Jesus, we see that the church is part of that. There is no Lone Ranger solo Christianity. So it's a visible commitment to Christ and his people. Second, church membership is a powerful statement in a low commitment culture. Um, Marriage. Uh, I think the average American is married two to three times in their life. Um, Fifty years ago, generally people were married one time. Um, Jobs. Fifty years ago, people generally kept the same job for their life, or at least the same career field. Now, I think the last statistic I saw is that the, the average American will change jobs about 11 times over the course of their life. We live in a low-commitment culture, and that has deeply affected the church. It's kind of startling when you think about it. Any of y'all ever been members of a Rotary Club? One. What happens if you miss Rotary a couple times a year? You get in trouble in Rotary. (laughs) Is it once a year without excuse? Yeah. Um, That's a radical thing in our low-commitment culture, and unfortunately, the church has actually gone the way of the culture. Uh, in, in so many places, churches just uh, have such low expectations of engagement. We want to encourage you as you join First Scots, you are making a visible commitment in a low commitment culture. You are saying, these are my people. These are, this is where I want to grow. This is where I want to serve. And so it is a, it, it is a commitment um, to make. Some of you, um, for example, the woods, this time around, we're going to pray that God's going to bring you back, but y'all are potentially only here for a year. 
the world would say, why would you join a church if you're only somewhere for a year? But that's exactly the point, is in pursuing church membership, you're saying this is valuable. Commitment to Christ and His people and serving Christ and serving His people matters, even if it's only for a short period of time. Third, church membership keeps us accountable to one another. You know, if you do not make a commitment to a local church, who knows if you're spiritually drifting? Who knows if you have fallen into deep, dark sin? See, church membership is a way that you make sure somebody is caring for you and somebody is praying for you. And and what will happen here in the life of the church, if we're doing our job, um, is let's say, you know, let's say you go dark for three weeks. We haven't seen you. Where are Colin and Rachel? Oh, no, they're traveling. Okay, good. Where's Margie? And it could be any number of things. It could be a health issue that we didn't know about. It could be any number of things. Somebody else, it might be a major sin issue, and they have fallen back into, into drug abuse, those kinds of things. By joining the visible church, we're allowing ourselves to be held accountable, and nobody needs that accountability more than, than we do individually, more than you do as a believer. Uh, and so it, it keeps us accountable to one another. Fourth, it gives you a place to use and offer your gifts for the building up of the body of Christ. Uh, that's what we looked at last week in Ephesians 4, um, that the work of the church is for the building up of the body of Christ to do the work of ministry. It doesn't mean that it's impossible to serve Christ outside of the bounds of this church. Certainly not. We, we have great ministries like Child Evangelism Fellowship and, and uh uh, Kairos and Young Life and Radiance Women, those are all areas that you can serve Christ. They're not necessarily under the auspices of this church. But what we're saying is within the church, as you desire to grow your gifts and to use your gifts, the best way to do so is in the local church body. Now, at First Scots, um, obviously you don't have to be a member to attend, uh, but as you seek to get more involved in the life of the church, let's say you want to keep nursery. Praise the Lord, we need nursery workers. Um, you want to teach Sunday school. You want to do various things. Um, those are things that we want you to be church members first. Um, and part of the reason is that accountability issue. You know, we've had people through the years who have uh, visited and have wanted to, to, to step into roles uh, that would... Uh, that would give them some authority in the life of the church, but they weren't church members. And we've had to say, you know, without being a church member, without being under the authority of our elders, those are not, uh, we cannot delegate that authority to you. And so if you desire to use your gifts for the building up of the body of Christ here, then church membership is a requisite step there. Um, Fifth, church membership helps your pastor and elders be more faithful shepherds. Um, I had the weirdest experience uh, after I had been here about a year in Beaufort. Uh, I ran into somebody who had worshiped with us one time, ran into him in public. They were at a table uh, eating lunch, and they introduced me to their friends and said, this is my pastor. And I was the most surprised person in the world to hear that I was that person's pastor because they had worshiped with us one time, months and months and months before. But in their mind, I was their pastor. Well, that brings up a really interesting question. How do I, as somebody who has been charged with the authority of shepherding the flock, how do I know who is the flock God has entrusted to me? In fact, Hebrews 13, 7, 
it says, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. That's, that's the part of the congregation. But what about the part of the elders? What about the part of the leaders? It goes on, for they keep watch over you as men who must give account. How, how do I know? How do the elders know whom God has entrusted to us? Well, through the process of church membership. Um, we go at, at every elders meeting, we work through our role. We pray for, for the uh, flock. We, we discuss needs there or, or areas that we can help people or, or where we can utilize people in the life of the church. Um, but we want to, we have to know somehow who are within the bounds of the church. You know, that's one argument biblically for church membership is the Apostle Paul, for example, will talk about the church discipline process or the Lord Jesus himself will talk about the church discipline process and he'll talk, they'll talk about putting people out of the church. That's, that's talking about the final step called excommunication, which we'll get to in a couple of weeks as we work through this class. But how do you excommunicate people unless they are within the bounds of your church? So church membership is built into how the New Testament thinks about the Christian life. And that's a big part of how accountability works. And then last, we all need to be under the regular ministry of God's word. You know, it's really easy as a Christian. It's really easy to go online and listen to your favorite pastor on the other side of the country and listen to his sermons and really enjoy them. And I do that all the time. I listen to sermon after sermon after sermon during the week. But you know what? If I don't listen to that sermon for a couple of weeks, that pastor is not going to call me and say, where have you been? What's going on? That pastor also doesn't know the unique idiosyncrasies of my own heart or the area in which I live. Every, every community has its own context in which we minister, and, and we all have different sin struggles. And Beaufort has its own idiosyncrasies different than Los Angeles might have. It's sin is sin, certainly, but the way it manifests itself is going to be different in different locations. And so it is wonderful that we have access to churches and ministries all over the country, but we need to be under the, the ministry of the Word week by week with brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, Another benefit, just a way to think about this, let's say that uh, the word is preached, something particularly um, sensitive to your life is addressed. You can go to anybody else that was in that room and say, hey, I need accountability with this. You, you heard when Pastor Walton talked about um, time in the Word. I, I really don't spend time in the Word. I need accountability with that. It, it, bu- it builds a sort of unity when all the people are under the ministry of the Word together. It builds a unity as we move forward in the body of Christ. All of us need that. Um, so those are just, uh, that's sort of a review of the article that you would have read in preparation, The Necessity of Church Membership. I want to talk real quick about how do you join a PCA church? And you can look at page 14 in your booklets and you'll find this. Um, To join a church, uh, to make the decision to join First Scots, you do so upon a profession of faith. Now, that may not be a new profession of faith. You may have professed faith at another church before, um, and we'll come to that in a moment. But our, the basic standard of church membership is that you be a born-again Christian. 
you're going to go through this class and you may hear things that you're like, I I've just never heard of that before. And, and, and I couldn't pronounce Presbyterian until three weeks ago, and I'm still not sure what it means. And by the end of this class, by the end of eight weeks, you're not going to understand everything there is to know about Presbyterianism. So we're not going to sit down. The session's not going to sit down. The elders are not going to sit down with you and go, do you understand this and this and this and all these doctrinal things? And have you read the entire Book of Church Order? And what did that mean to you? And blah, blah, blah. That's not what this process looks like. What we are looking for is are you, um, as potential adult, what we call communicant members of the church, are you personally trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you repented and come to saving faith in Christ? Now, I'm, I said communicant members. We, there are two types of members here. There are what we call communicant members. Those are folks who have been examined by the elders um, for a profession of faith and have been received into membership. Then we have what we are called non-communicant members. That would be members who, uh, they're in the covenant community, kind of like a child growing up in Israel was part of that covenant community of Israel. Um, they're, they're growing up in the covenant community, but they themselves have not yet made a profession of faith. They would be considered non-communing members because they don't yet take communion. And we'll talk to that about why children uh, that have not professed faith yet don't take communion when we get to the sacraments in a few weeks. Um, but that's the, the process for becoming a communicant member is to share your testimony uh, with the elders. Um, you'll take the five vows of membership. Those vows are listed on page 14. Um, do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure without hope, save for his sovereign mercy? What's that question asking? Yes, good. Can you save yourself or not? That's really what it's asking. Do you, have, you, have you given up on your ability to save yourself? If you think Christianity is kind of a mutual partnership between us and Jesus, Jesus does his part, I do mine, I'll be saved, you actually can't take that vow. Because the gospel says, I despair of my own ability to save myself in any way. Second, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God? There's an exclusivity there. He's not one way among many, but he is the Son of God and Savior of sinners do you receive and rest upon him alone for salvation? That, that receive and rest upon him is, is really important because if you think about it, and we're going to look at, at a lot of uh, next week, we're going to look at Christianity against the backdrop of historical Catholicism. Historical Catholicism basically says Jesus washes you, but the rest is up to you. Now, I know a Catholic wouldn't agree with that, but that's effectively what it's saying, that you have to go back and get these renewing graces by doing the sacraments. And if you don't do those things, or if you commit certain sins, then you're no longer saved. And within Catholicism, you had no hope that you could, you could not die certain of your own salvation. You always, at best, you would hope for a, a short sentence in purgatory. When it says receive and rest upon, it's talking about we trust in Christ, not just for that initial cleansing, but my only hope of salvation in beginning to end is the finished work of Jesus. And it's not how strongly I hold on to him, but how strongly he holds on to me. 
Um, third, do you now promise, a resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you'll endeavor to live as becomes followers of Christ? Um, that's simply saying, with God's help, I want to live in a way that represents the Lord Jesus well. Certainly, you represent the church as Christians, as members of the church, but more importantly, you carry the name of Christ with you as Christians. And so you're saying, by the help of the Holy Spirit, my desire is to represent Him well. Fourth, do you promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability? Um, our belief is that when people join, when God adds to the church, he is intentionally making this church stronger by giving us things that we needed. And, and that's always amazing to us. God will add new people to the church. Um, and it's often not the ways that we expected him to really bless the church through that person. But every time God adds people to the church, it, it's like all of a sudden, you know, you live your whole life with four fingers and then you get a thumb and go, wow, thumbs are great. I had no idea what I was missing. That's what it's like when God adds people to the church. But you have to be willing to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability. And then fifth, do you submit yourself to the government and discipline of the church and promise to study its purity and peace? So this church has a governmental structure of how things work. We need church government because otherwise the opposite of church government would be chaos. And, you know, if in heaven... Maybe we could handle chaos because we wouldn't be sinners, but as long as we're sinners, we need structure. We need channels through which things are handled because at times, like it or not, we're not going to like things that happen. We're not going to like things that are said or done, and we have to understand the proper channels. We've all been in churches where most church business happens in the parking lot after the service, where people are sort of, uh, of trying to stir people up. To, 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 to create change. Uh, if you see an area that needs to be changed in the life of the church, you don't do it in the parking lot. You, come to a, you ask if you can come to a session meeting. Well, you can come to a session meeting, an elders meeting, and talk to them and present biblical uh, reasoning for why things need to be different. Um, and then the discipline of the church is simply that you uh, submit yourself for correction. Um, church discipline happens all the time. It happens every time the word is preached. God is correcting us. He's correcting the areas of our lives that are out of accord with scripture. It's going to happen every day until we're in glory. There's also a picture of, in scripture of formal church discipline, and we'll talk about that in a few weeks, the steps of church discipline. But what you're saying with this vow is if, if I am out of accord with the scriptures and the elders of the church seek to restore me, to correct me and restore me, I'll submit to that process. Those are really important vows. In fact, if we would all just keep our vows, we'd be a great church. Um, that's what you would stand before the congregation and say, those five vows, you would simply say, I, I do. Uh, there's several ways you can join First Scots. One is simply by profession of faith. So that may mean you've never been a member of a church anywhere before. It may also mean, and this is what we get a lot of, Ah, uh, you know, I, I was baptized at Red Rock Baptist Church and such and such, but I hadn't been there in like 73 years. So I'm not even sure if I'm a member there or not. We would receive you by profession of faith because that church may not even be existent anymore. If they haven't done their duty to hold you accountable through the years, um, then really there's no way to see yourself as part of that church. So one possibility is you can join by profession of faith. 
One is by certificate, a uh, transfer of letter is what we call it. So if you're a member of another church coming from another PCA church, I would write a letter uh, to the clerk of session there. And he would say, Colin and Rachel are members in good standing um, and they'll be a blessing to you guys. They would simply um, let us know your status at that church. Do you know why it's really important for us to know your status at a previous church? Because there's a such thing as fleeing church discipline where people see, uh, they come under church discipline and rather than submitting to the process, they just change churches. That happens a lot. And so part of what we're doing uh, is simply just seeking the, the, the go-ahead of the previous church uh, to let us know that, yes, you are members in good standing. Um, third, I kind of went out of order. Um, you can join by reaffirmation of faith. That's what, uh, that's what it is if, if your church is where you are a member is maybe not, uh, not extant anymore. Or you don't even know if you're still a member there. Sorry about that. Um, let's go on to the next page. I want to ask you guys to be thinking about your own testimony. Um, oftentimes, our testimonies are kind of truncated. They're, I once was lost and now I'm found, and that's the story of that. And that's a really good story. But it's not all of the story. Your testimony is, is it doesn't stop once you're converted. It, your walk with Christ is all part of your testimony. And we want to encourage you and all of our members to think about your testimony. Think about how God has worked and is working in your life. Uh, and so I was going to share mine. Um, I was raised here in Buford. I grew up about four miles from here. Uh, my dad was actually um, raised Jewish. So if you've ever been downtown, Beth Israel Synagogue is in downtown Buford, just behind the Arsenal uh, downtown. Um, I went there. We were what I would call um, Hanukkah and Passover Jews. We went twice a year. Uh, and so it was actually really hard to go because the whole service was in Hebrew. And it may be God's native language, but it was not my native language. And so I didn't have a clue what was going on. I could sing prayers and stuff that I heard through the years. I did not have a clue what it meant. Um, and people would ask me questions, people that grew up going to Sunday school and stuff, they would say, oh, as a Jew, do you believe this? I would go, I don't know what I believe. And I really didn't. I did not have a clue what I believed. Uh, my parents, um, my mom was raised Baptist. Uh, when my mom and dad got married, they agreed that uh, religion would, would not uh, interfere with their marriage. Uh, and that worked really well till they had a son that got converted and then became a pastor in their hometown. Uh, and God has continued to work through that. I'm, I'm very thankful my mom is a, a, a member of this church and, and a, a great joy to me and to my family and to many others in the church. My dad is not a believer yet, but we continue to pray for him. Um, I was walking my senior year. This is not a story I'm proud of, but I'm going to tell you anyways because it shows how God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. Uh, I was a senior in high school, had no real clear vision of what I wanted, what college I wanted to go to. I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, the reason I wanted to be a lawyer is because lawyers are rich, right? And so I wanted to be rich, and that's an easy way to do it, I thought. Very simple black and white mind. Um, but walking along at the Beaufort Waterfront Park, and I see a guy wearing a t-shirt that says Theta Chi Fraternity Dukes of Hazard Party. 
I love the Dukes of Hazard. That is the greatest show in the history of the world. It's not well made. It's not well scripted. It's not ethical. It's got so many problems, but it's still the greatest show in the history of the world. Um, and I saw the guy's shirt, and I thought, if they have a Dukes of Hazard party, I am going there. And I enrolled online. Um, never set foot on campus before the first day of class, or before freshman orientation. Um, that was it. That is a stupid decision. God draws straight lines with crooked sticks. I went to Presbyterian College. It is part of the PCUSA. We talked about that last week. It has forsaken the gospel many years before. In fact, I got, uh, just after I came to trust in Christ, the president of the college sat down with me trying to pressure me to go back to Judaism because he thought it was kind of a turning my back on, uh, on the Jews who've been such an oppressed people group through the years, and oppression wins you so much uh, credibility these days. Um, but I, so I went there, I enrolled, I had a freshman, uh, my freshman year I had an RA that was a Christian, his roommate was a Christian. I knew nothing about the gospel. And, and to tell you how little I knew, um, remember the guy that used to hold the John 3.16 sign at football games? I saw that one time, probably 17 years old or so, and I remember wondering, what does 3 colon 16 mean? I don't understand. I just didn't even understand the, the structure of a verse reference, much less did I know the verse itself. So I, I, I literally knew nothing. I could not have quoted for you one verse of Scripture by the time I was 17 years old. Um, on the one hand, my life was going in a very unhealthy direction, getting into um, partying and drugs and all those different things. And on the other hand, God was stirring in my heart. And so through my freshman, uh, the first half of my freshman year, I was really uh, just getting pulled in two different directions. I saw something really attractive in Christians, this hope and this joy that I had never seen before, but also just a strong desire to, be, to enjoy the world. Um, God, in his grace, allowed relationships to come crashing down. My freshman GPA came crashing down, um, got in trouble in certain ways. My life basically fell apart. Everything that I was leaning upon fell. And January of my freshman year of college, so January 2000, I uh, came to trust in the Lord Jesus. Um, I was very involved in a ministry called Campus Outreach. I loved Campus Outreach. It was a great ministry. One of the things that I didn't understand for a couple years was the value of the local church. And in fact, even just after I became uh, a believer for a couple of years, I just didn't see a reason to join the church because I had campus ministry and, and it sort of became my church. Um, but there was a lot of things that the campus ministry could not offer. It couldn't offer the things we've talked about, the, the accountability, the commitment, all those things. You know, I could sleep in on Sunday mornings and nobody would notice. Uh, and so I could go weeks or months without going to church if I wanted to, and nobody would say a word. I needed the local church desperately, and I really didn't know it. Um, got out of college. Uh, well, I'll rewind. I met Stephanie. Um, she can uh, tell you more about her evolution of coming to not dis have disdain for me. Um, but she initially did have pretty deep disdain. Uh, we... Uh, began a serious relationship. We were married uh, just after she graduated. She was a year behind me. Um, and so we were married in 2004. But in 2003, I graduated high school, moved to Dillon, South Carolina. Dillon is the armpit of South Carolina in every way. But it's got some of the greatest people in the world. 
and I moved there to work for a church. I, that was my fir the first time I had joined a church. I joined a PCA church there. I worked there. Um, I had the greatest privilege outside of marriage and fatherhood that I've had in this world, and that is that I had three men older than all of them older than me uh, who started discipling me. Um, I still talk to regularly. One of them I still talk to every single day. We talk together. We pray together. Uh, he's one of my best friends in the world, and he's 70 years old. And I learned that the church is broader than just my little narrow age group. Um, and I really uh, came to love the church when I was there in Dillon. Um, after seven years in Dillon, I did three years of youth ministry, and then I taught Spanish and was an assistant headmaster of a Christian school for four years. After that, I went to Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte. And the main reason I chose RTS Charlotte was a man named Douglas Kelly. He um, taught at RTS Charlotte. He's a well-known theologian and author, um, brilliant man, has a photographic memory. I, I remember he'd get frustrated with me because I only knew like three languages. And I asked him one day, how many languages do you know? And he's like, nine. And then, no, wait, 10. Um, just in a whole other world, but he had such rich love for Christ. And I got to be his teaching assistant and spend hours every day in seminary with Dr. Kelly uh, there at RTS Charlotte. Um, graduated from RTS Charlotte in March, uh, I mean, in May of 2013. At that point, we only had one child, Joshua. He was uh, almost, yeah, he was almost seven, right? Six and a half. Um, we moved here right after that, Charlie. Our middle child was born uh, in September. His, his birthday is coming up soon, so September 2013. And then we adopted Samuel, uh, our youngest, in April of 2016. Um, because uh, testimony is not just the story of what God did, but what God is, is doing. You know, if I were to say what God's doing in my life today, I think one thing he's doing is he's increasing my in my eyes, the esteem of the power of the word. Um, if you, we were to look back at the history of this church, and I shared a lot of that with you last week, just how the church got started and, and where folks were coming from, and me as a fresh out of seminary 30-year-old coming to plant the church, there's no real reason that it worked, that it grew like it has. There's no church growth plan that would match what we did or recommend what we uh, did here. Why did it work? Well, it's certainly not because of my gifts, because they're very limited, and it's certainly not because of the ingenuity of the people, because that really wasn't where we were trying to go. It was the power of the Word. As the Word is preached, as the Word is proclaimed and taught, and as the people grow in their love for it, God builds His church. That's one thing He's doing in my life. Another thing He's doing in my life, I would say, is teaching me how much worldliness seeks to influence our hearts and seeks to influence the church. Um, this happens at the local level. It happens at the denominational level. Um, but I'm increasingly aware just in my own walk with Christ how much the church desires to be loved by the world. Is that a promise Jesus ever gave us, that the world would love us? What kind of promises did Jesus give us? just the opposite, right? And we have to learn to be okay with that, or otherwise we will always be seeking to, to appeal to the taste buds of the world. The world cannot love the gospel and, until they've been made new by the Holy Spirit. So those are a couple of things that God's doing in my life. I want to encourage you and ask you guys this week to sit down and write out your testimony. Um, I gave you kind of some clues here on page 16. 
uh, about things that you can write out, um, go ahead and start working on that. Uh, if you're struggling over it, there's a couple reasons. One might be um, you may have a testimony more like my wife who grew up in the church. She doesn't have the, the radical turnaround. She has a pretty steady trajectory of growth. Now, she has some seasons of growth more than others, but you may not remember a point where you didn't know Christ. You know what we'd say to that? Praise the Lord. Praise God. We want to see children nurtured and covenant children nurtured in the faith. That's a good thing. So if your testimony doesn't involve riding with the hell's angels, that's okay. Now, there's another reason you may not know much about your testimony is you may not yet have come to saving faith in Christ. You, you, you may realize as you're working through it, I'm not sure that I've ever really come to trust the Lord Jesus. You know, I've, I've tried to be a good person, but I don't know that I've ever come to saving faith. And so part of what writing out your testimony will do, it may lead you to a point of saying, you know, I don't know that I've ever really come to trust in Christ. That's a good thing to realize. It's far better to realize that now than in the day of judgment. And so if that's the point you come to, talk to me or talk to Steve or to the elders um, because we would love to talk to you about how to come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus. And I can tell you that if you're at that point of being ready to even acknowledge you may not be a Christian, there's a great chance that the Holy Spirit is bringing you to that point of readiness to become a Christian. So please start working on your testimony this week. Uh, what will happen as we come towards the end of the class is I'll be setting up interviews with each of you guys. Uh, let, me, let me make that more casual. We'll go out to lunch, all right? And I'm going to ask you, hey, tell me, tell me what God's done in you. Um, it'll be very casual, very laid back, um, but we'll talk through that. I may ask you some questions um, about it, but it'll be uh, what we just want to hear is that God is working in your life. And then the next step would be for you to meet with the elders and share your testimony with them. Um, I can tell you that they're a group that loves to hear anywhere God is at work. Um, so if you would, work on that this week. I want to look at a couple things now before we run out of time. Look at page 17. How we do ministry. You know, every church is unique um, just like every person is unique. Every person has their own fingerprint, their own DNA. So does every church because you, you add people that come from different perspectives and backgrounds and, and it just makes a unique concoction in every church. Um, we want to share with you what our, our understanding, our philosophy of ministry is. So look at the second paragraph on page 17. At First Scots, we have a very simple philosophy of ministry. Our duty is to uh, faithfully minister and obey the scriptures, and the Holy Spirit's job is to bear fruit. So that means that Pastor Walton and I don't spend our days looking at the latest strategies and demographics. We spend our days studying the scriptures and seeking to bring them to God's people. We study God's word, bring it to God's people, because we believe the scriptures are the power of salvation. It is as the word is taught and preached that the Holy Spirit tends to bring people to saving faith. Um, so we've summarized a short mission and vision here. The mission of First God's Presbyterian Church of Buford is to glorify God by producing mature disciples of all ages who will reach Buford and then the world with the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ. Our desire is to proclaim the word so that the people of this church grow to maturity and then you are propelled out into the world. I told you last week we are not a heavily program-driven church. 
And, and so if you're just looking for, for different programs to get plugged into, you may not find um, as much of that. What we want is to propel you into your neighborhood with the gospel or into your workplace with the gospel. In other words, you are, every time you walk out the doors of this church, a missionary of First Scots. And that's how we desire it. That's how the early church flipped the world upside down. It was because they viewed the world as their ministry, the world as their mission field. Look at the vision. This is how we hope to accomplish it. The vision of First Scots is to establish and maintain a culture in which our congregation is committed to reverent worship, sincere fellowship, robust family discipleship, personal piety, healthy marriages and families, all powered by a humble passion for Christ. Um, what's that mean for us? It means we major on the majors. We, we major on the big things, the ministry of the word, sacraments, and prayer. Now, we're not so simplistic as to think that's all there is to ministry because there's lots of other things. There's counseling. There, there's uh, coordinating fellowship opportunities. There's all sorts of other things. But the main things must be the main things of the ministry of word, sacraments, and prayer. Um, this article on page 18, I think, is a really helpful, gives helpful perspective on this. Um, if you haven't had a chance to read it, I would really plead with you. Uh, I think every member of this church has read it at some point. We've asked the congregation to read it multiple times. Everybody that's been through Inquirer's class in the last four years has read it. Uh, but it just, it, it states really well how we view ministry. Um, this is by a guy named Ligon Duncan. He's a friend of many in this congregation. Um, but he says there's three views of gospel ministry. There's three views of how ministry happens. One, one and we're talking about ministry today in this day and age, 2,000 years removed from the scriptures being written. One is that we need to change the method. And so you can look back at the early church. And what did they do? They did a lot of preaching. But you might say, you know, people have short attention spans today, so preaching isn't really what's going to work anymore. We need new methods. So let's change the method to reach the world. What's wrong with that idea? For one thing, preaching wasn't popular 2,000 years ago. People liked oration. They liked theater. Preaching was simple proclamation of God's word with exhortation. And so preaching actually was never historically in the early church, never the sort of mode of entertainment that people wanted. They wanted oratory. They wanted skilled rhetoric. They didn't want simple proclamation. But also... When we constantly are looking for new methods, we actually are kind of trying to do the Holy Spirit's job. You know, if I can just come up with the right method to drive the gospel home to people, then we'll fill up the church. That's actually the Holy Spirit's job. Jesus tells us in John 6, no man can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. He doesn't say, no man can come to me unless you make Sunday mornings really entertaining and fun. You know, you need lots of skits and you need popular music and all that stuff. That's not the method that, that Jesus advocates for. It's not the method of the early church. Look at Acts 2 for a moment. Acts 
Let's just look at what the early church did, that it was growing so rapidly. Acts 2, starting at verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What did they do? Word, sacraments, prayer, fellowship? They, they were the church. Is there an expiration date listed on being the church? On how long this approach to ministry lasts? No. This is the perpetual approach that God gives us in ministry. Well, but it seems so weak, doesn't it? It seems foolish today. It seems boring today. We, we need something flashier. First Corinthians 1, God uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. That's, that's what First Corinthians is, is about in a lot of ways, how God is the one who does the work. You don't need these divisions of I follow Paul or I follow Paulus because it's really about the work of God's Spirit. So there, there's this approach. This is kind of the seeker-sensitive approach that says we need to change the method. There's a second approach to ministry today that we need to change the message. Now, this is happening all the time. We need to change the message to make it appeal to people, right? Because the gospel is so narrow and offensive, and we don't want to offend people. So let's don't preach that. Um, that's what liberalism has done. By the way, if you look at, at, quote, Christian liberalism, and that's really not even a thing because it ceases to be Christian uh, once it's liberalism, but you look at what it's done, everywhere it goes, it, it hurts churches and it closes churches. The church cannot survive changing the message of the gospel because once you change the message of the gospel, you know what you're left with? Oprah Winfrey. You're you're left with something you can find on Dr. Phil. You can just turn on the TV and hear the same drivel that you were hearing at church the previous Sunday. And so people go, well, why would I get up early and come to this when I could just, I could read this in the newspaper. You know, I can go read a self-help book telling me how to be a good person. I don't need that. So the second way that people do ministry today is to change the message. The third is to say that both the method and the message belong to God. And because they belong to God, they're not ours to change. And they don't need changing we don't need to change the message because it's, the message itself is the power of salvation. That's what Paul says in Romans 1. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for the gospel is the power of salvation. The message doesn't need to be changed. It, yes, it may offend people. It also is the one thing that can convert people. And we don't need to change the method. That belongs to God. You know, when you use something like preaching, something that seems so weak in the world's eyes, it requires so much prayer that God will do the work. You can take the best preacher in the world. If God's spirit doesn't take that message to the hearts of the people, do you know how much fruit it'll produce? Zero. So we are utterly reliant upon God's spirit to take God's message to the hearts of God's people. That's a summary 
of our ministry here. Um, let me just share a few quotes from, uh, from this article. Look at page 19. Look at the paragraphs, kind of uh, second paragraph there. They may seem weak in the eyes of the worldly strong. This is talking about those means that God has instituted. We call those the ordinary means of grace, the word, sacraments, and prayer. He says, they may seem weak in the eyes of the worldly strong. They may seem foolish in the eyes of the worldly wise. But the gospel message is the power of God unto salvation, and the gospel means are effectual to salvation. These are the spiritual instruments given by God with which Christian congregational spiritual life is nurtured, the Spirit's tools of grace and growth in grace appointed by God in the Bible. Um, and he goes on to, to say these are the main ways people grow. And so we as a church have a duty not to keep up with the world, but to keep the main things the main things, to do it as well as we can, to preach the word as well as we can, to fellowship as well as we can. We always have room for growth, but ultimately any fruit that's to be born must be born by the Holy Spirit as he works through weak and sinful people to accomplish his ends. So look at page 20, first full paragraph. This means, among other things, ministry is not rocket science. Gospel faithfulness doesn't require the minister to be a sociologist because ministry is not determined in the first place by reading the culture, but by reading the word of God. The ordinary means minister wants to connect with the culture, but when it comes to determining method and priorities, he moves from text to ministry, not culture to ministry. Um, and so look at the last paragraph. What will a church look like that is committed to the ordinary means of grace? It'll be characterized by love for expository Bible preaching. Do y'all know what expository preaching is? What does that mean? <laughs> Going through the Bible, yeah. That the sermon is clearly from the text. Um, we do what's called consecutive expository preaching. So this week, I'm going to preach through um, Hebrews 6.3. Do you know what we're going to look at next week? We're going to start with Hebrews 6.4. We just go verse by verse. That's, the Bible is God's agenda, and so we tend to stick to God's agenda. We want to hear what God has next for us. Also, you know, that keeps me honest because there's certain things that I really like preaching on. There's also things that are kind of uncomfortable to preach on. But, you know, if it's the next thing, it keeps me honest. It makes me a slave to the text. It makes Pastor Walton a slave to the text because we just have to preach the next thing. And that's what you need. If you're in a church where people preach topical, the odds are the pastor's just going to preach whatever he likes to preach about. We're like that. We all have soapboxes. You need the next thing in order. You need the next thing God has for you. And so our primary means for preaching is expository, verse-by-verse -verse preaching. Passion for worship, delight in the truth, embrace of the gospel, the Spirit's work of conversion, a life of godliness, robust family religion, biblical evangelism, biblical discipleship, biblical church membership, mutual accountability in the church, biblical church leadership, and a desire to be a blessing to the nations. Along with all of that, there will be an unapologetic, humble, joyful celebration of the transcendent sovereignty of the one true triune God in salvation in all things. 
Here's my early plea, and I told you last week, I want you to go through the class and assess, is this the church for me? Can you get on board with that last paragraph? Because if you can, then this is the church for you. And we want you here, and we want you to come and help us to be better at these things, because you might be the thumb we didn't know we were missing. You might, be the, you might be the whole arm that we're missing, and we don't know. But we want people who catch that vision and say, yes, that is the work of the church. Now let's get to work. Any questions for me? Doug. Uh, you said sacraments. Now, I'm thinking you mean that means works, because every time I hear sacraments and red flag goes up, my that's how Catholic. <laughs> okay. Sometimes it's referred to as ordinances, um, but simply the things that Christ has ordained for the church to continue doing. Um, and we'll get to that in about three weeks, I think, but uh, namely baptism and the Lord's Supper. Do we do these to merit anything from God? And, and you're, th- you know, you're, you're exactly right to think about how Catholicism views it, and we're going to look at that over the next couple of weeks. We do not believe that these provide any sort of works righteousness for us. They're simply a way in baptism that we are marked out as belonging to the Holy Spirit, in the Lord's Supper as feasting upon the Lord Jesus in a unique way. So it's a great question, and hopefully by the end of the class, Maybe not everybody will agree, but everybody at least know what it is that we're saying when we talk about sacraments or the ordinances of the word, uh, I mean, excuse me, of the Lord's Supper and baptism. Great question. All right. Um, John, would you close us in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you again for an opportunity to gather among believers. Lord, this, uh, this church that you have built is such an integral part of Cave's in my life that we feel so blessed to be a part of. And I pray that the people in this room that are not attached to uh, a church will feel the same. We've been blessed beyond, uh, just beyond our wildest belief and are humbled by the word that we hear every week. And uh, we pray that uh, as we go about this coming week that we'll continue to study, we'll continue to think about what Alex has presented and what's in this booklet and we'll do what's right for us that you want us to do uh, because you are a sovereign, our sovereign Lord and we just thank you for everything that we have because you've provided it and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you all.